This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. Thanks to all our members for making our truth journey a reality. To listen to part two of tonight's interview and all of our interviews, just go to veritasradio.com and click on the subscribe button. You will receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? Go to sanitasradio.com and find out how every week we will declassify the secrets to health and longevity with a focus on mind, body, and spirit. And speaking of health, it doesn't matter how much organic food you eat, how much you exercise, or how many supplements you take. If the water you're drinking is not the best, then you're back to square one. I'm a big advocate of ionized, clean, and healthy alkaline restructured drinking water. That's loaded with beneficial antioxidants and minerals. Click on the water button on our website and find out. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is whistleblower and former World Bank Senior Counsel, Karen Hudis. Right now, on Veritas. Karen Hudis studied law at Yale Law School and economics at the University of Amsterdam. 
She worked in the U.S. Export-Import Bank, the Exim Bank, from 1980 to 1985, and in the legal department of the World Bank from 1986 to 2007. And to learn more about Karen Hudis and her work, visit her website at kahudis.net. And directly from Bethesda, Maryland, I am privileged to welcome whistleblower and former World Bank Senior Counsel, Dr. Karen Hudis. Hello, Dr. Hudis, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mel. It's my pleasure, and what a time, what a time to have you on. There's a convergence of situations, not only in the United States, but I would say it's, it's worldwide. And first of all, so that the audience knows who you are, just beyond what I read, can you just tell us a little bit more of your background and, and your years at the World Bank and why and what circumstances led to you leaving the World Bank? Yes, I think the thing that makes it easiest to understand um, what my message is and what I'm trying to do is that um, I'm a lawyer and an economist, um, and I think what makes it the easiest to understand is the reason I end up ended up in Europe. I'm an American, um, and I studied at New York University and Yale Law School, but the reason that I ended up studying economics at the University of Amsterdam, and people will be, be able to figure out um, how senior I am by this, is um, I was studying during, you know, the um, Vietnam War era. I was one of the people who was at, um, you know, all of the demonstrations. And when they were saying, love it or leave it, I said, I have to, I have to leave it because it's just um, this war is going against my grain. I was at Woodstock. I was the Woodstock generation. And also, so you can place me in, at Yale Law School, um, I <laughs> was two years behind Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. Uh, my mother um, thought that if I had just spent more time in the library, I, you know, I might have done a little better. But frankly, I don't think that would have been better. I think that would have been infinitely worse. My husband actually went to Yale Law School, but I met him um, after I had left um, and graduated and was working in Washington. But in any event, um, so you you would have to say that um, I speak a couple of languages, not just Dutch, which I speak fluently and English, but I speak as an economist and I speak as a lawyer. But most of all, um, and this is what I learned in the middle of what I was going through, is that um, the most important thing is really not all of this um, study. It's following your heart, following your intuition. And um, I learned how to do that. And so when people were bombarding me with all of this misinformation, I was able, and also because um, one of the very important uh, training that I received was when I was an undergraduate um, at NYU, uh, there was no way to do sports because I was in the middle of Washington Square, um, Greenwich Village. So I learned how to fence and I became ultimately the captain of the NYU fencing team. And my Hungarian fencing coach drilled into me that when you are under attack, that is actually your chance to score. That's what a fencer does. And you also learn to stop thinking and trust 
your instincts because if you're starting to think you're not going to be fast enough to win against your opponent you have to be on the ball you have to be watching what they're doing and the other part of my training that was actually the most important was um, when I was in college I was working part-time as a secretary and I learned how to take shorthand so if I would be in a meeting and somebody was talking I was capturing every single word they were saying and there were times that people were showing me things and telling me I couldn't have the documents and I was just you know, writing them down, transcribing them. That's great. So, so those are the skills that I brought. But uh, of the most important skill, I think was, um, well, no, the most important skill is liking people and knowing that people are there to be your help and your ally and your friend. And so anybody that was ever... Um, doing anything that was trying to harm me, I was usually the last one to find that out because I was there just going back to them time and time again, I, you know, um, and a lot of people uh, thought I was absolutely ridiculous for doing that. But it also gave me a chance to document what it was that they were doing. So for instance, and let me get to the very end of where we're going so that people sure. who, who are busy and don't want to stay with us for the whole two hours that we have. And thank you again for making this available. Thank um, you. Where, where we're going is we are going to use law, the world's law, the country's law, the state's law to set everything right. And one of the things that I just found out is that all of the states in the United States have been asking for a constitutional convention. The state legislatures have been asking for it. And under the U.S. Constitution, after two-thirds of the states do that, there is going to be a constitutional convention. It says the Congress shall call a constitutional convention. The Congress hasn't done its duty. It's been out to lunch. And that does not prevent the American people from having a constitutional convention. We can have it. If the U.S. Congress is derelict in its duty, we will just have a constitutional convention without them having called it because that's what's what we're entitled to. The American people are allowed to fire their government if their government is non-responsive. And we can fire our Congress. If they do not deliver a constitutional convention, we will have one without them. And they'll have to figure out what that means for themselves. What it is, is we, the people, are the ones that are entitled to have our government. And what we have right now is we have 50 states that are governing us. It's not that we are going to be in chaos. Quite the opposite. What's been going on is that the states have not been allowed to issue bonds and neither have the municipalities because of this, this problem, this headroom problem. So one of the things I did just before the annual meeting of the World Bank and the IMF, which just took place um, a couple of days ago, was I went to the National Governors Association and I went into the office that represents all of the treasurers of the states. And I said, you know, this problem that we're having, that you are not allowed to issue bonds to finance the state's um, budgetary needs, this has got to end. We are going to fix this problem. And um, I, had, I had gone there at the request of the um, governor, sorry, the county executive administrators association, because my county 
executive, Ike Leggett, I had been to his office and I had spoken to one of his employees who used to work at the National Governors Association, and she had told me that it would be very helpful to get that group on board with what we are doing. And what we are doing is really very simple. We are governing the country, and those institutions that are broken are going to be fixed. So when, when I, I, you know, I was telling you, I had just um, had a radio program, which I had to interrupt because the, um, the person who was interviewing me had a bee in his bonnet. He said, we are stuck with a broken government. And I said, I beg your pardon, but the, the framers of our Constitution anticipated this problem, and we are not stuck. And we don't have to be stuck. Exactly. And, and I was stuck in that interview with that guy. And finally, I lost my patience. And, <laughs> you know, we interrupted the conversation. And I don't think that's going to be broadcast. And you are here now. And I'm here now. And, and so we are going to systematically look at where we are. And one of the one of the things that I was looking at as well, um, it's, it's, um, it's really very um, dramatic where we are, but it's beautiful. It's not anything to lose um, hope with because the World Bank is a knowledge bank. And one of the one of the um, the pieces of knowledge that we the people have behind us now is um, a very good tool from political science. What it does, um, and I, I found out about it in 2004, uh, there's a man named Yasek Kugler who was um, the chairman of Claremont University's uh, political science department. And he was also the chair, I forget the name of that political science group, but the political scientists know how to prevent world wars. If you take certain, um, it, it's like, think of, um, you know, a flight simulator, where it, it gives a very accurate representation of what it's like to be behind the cockpit of a, of a plane. With the power of modern computers, you can, you can do a simulation of the world political system, provided people understand it and can put that information into the model. So what I did was I modeled rule of law at the World Bank. And the World Bank is a very special place because it's a microcosm of the entire world. And I didn't realize it at the time, it was in 2004, but I modeled rule of law at the World Bank, and at that same moment, Yasek Kugler had modeled world politics and peace transitions. And he was talking about how to um, transition from a system where the United States is the dominant force in the world to a system which is multipolar and where the East the economies in the East have grown. And what had happened in the past was the only way to have a transition was to have a world war. And what Yasek Kugler's model showed was that there was a way to slowly and gradually transition commensurate with the economic strength of the growing economies. And that was what he was trying to bring to the World Bank. And he brought it to different places. And I was one of the people who, who got it, who understood what that model represented. And I tried to get everyone to understand this. And that's what I have been doing now since he did that in 2004 until now. And I've largely succeeded. But I have not been able to let the people who need to know this in on what 
all of the countries know, because it turns out that the what we call the mainstream media, that's, you know, the regular newscasts and the regular uh, newspapers, they are all owned by a conglomerate that is dominating the capital markets of the world. And they do not want people to know this. And so they have been um, censoring. There's been a huge cover up. And this cover up is now um, dissipating because of the strength of the Internet and because of the strength of the alternate media. But don't you think that the mediaopoly is now somewhat trying to take over the Internet as well? Yes. And that is why it's very, very important for us to strike while we still can. And when I say to strike, I, I mean this in terms of politically. I mean this in terms of awareness. I mean this in terms of information. And a lot of people talk about waking up their neighbor. These are people who didn't know that the mainstream media had been co-opted. They believed everything they were told. And we can reach out to these people and let them know that, that they've been duped. So this is the moment. And, and fortunately, um, I've been working with all of these whistleblowers and all of these countries, um, because just think about it. The World Bank has people inside the organization, but some of these people actually represent their governments. They're not um, just regular um, Joe Blows, like me. I'm, I'm just somebody who happened to have studied at these places. I'm not anybody that's been um, given a mission. I have nobody but myself. You know, there's nobody home here but, my, but us chickens. And many people couldn't understand that until finally they saw the chronology of what it was that I had been doing. And they realized that I was just trying to represent the institutional interest of the World Bank. I was just their lawyer. I was nothing else but that. And as soon as they understood that, they started using me to send messages. And that's what I am. I'm, have you, I don't know if, if um, you've ever seen the Lucille Ball show where there's one program where she's an operator, a telephone operator, and she's trying to take, you know, in the old-fashioned switchboard where you wear a headset, and there are these funny um, little plugs that you put in with lines attached. I remember, to of course. Okay, I'm, that's who I am. I'm Lucille Ball in the middle of the world's telephone network. <laughs> that's good. And, and those lines are all tangled up. And if anybody wants proof of that, just if, just go to one website, go to YouTube and just just type your name and you'll see that, uh, you know, on a daily basis, you're just going out there to share information. But you mentioned something very interesting, the model that you created and the, the model that Kugler created. I'm sure you you were facing a, a, a strong opposing force, but then I think of the latest uh, Syria incident in which we almost, I, I believe this could have been World War III, the beginnings of World War III. What really prevented this from happening? Was it really Russia or was there a bigger force behind it? It was a lot, a lot going on. But the main thing that happened is that people showed that they were not duped anymore. There were enough of them that showed that they weren't going to fall for that same old, same old. That's the main thing. And don't forget, it was the UK Parliament that started out by saying, no way. And that same institution, the UK Parliament, has been also the pivot point for the rule of law. Because I went to the Serious Fraud Office in 2010, 
and I met with the Serious Fraud Office, and the Serious Fraud Office called up the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. This is about securities fraud because the World Bank issues bonds, $180 billion worth of bonds on the capital markets. And I bought a World Bank bond because that put me in a stronger position than a fired employee. That gave me the right to sue the World Bank as a bondholder that didn't have accurate financial information. So when I went back to the UK Parliament, and I've been working with Elaine Colville, who worked for one of the organizations, the World Bank has five different like windows, you know, it's it's um, composed of different, um, uh, what can I say, affiliates, think of a think of a, a company that has different subsidiaries. The World Bank has five different groups. Anyway, Elaine Colville worked for the group called the International Finance Corporation, which represents private investors in the developing world. And she had seen how the accounting at IFC was incorrect, that there was double booking, that employees um, who were working on a project, that the cost of that project was being financed twice. And she reported this and she got fired. And so she has been dealing with all of the various government entities in the um, United Kingdom. And she was telling me about filing deadlines with the UK Parliament and the two of us were working together. So I had two statements in the UK Parliament. And then the last statement, both of us got published in July. And so... And, you know, because I started getting information outside, uh, UK citizens were going to the members of parliament and saying, what are you planning on doing about this massive fraud and corruption in the financial markets? And so that the, uh, the, the people in the parliament knew that they were being held accountable. This is changing the dynamic. So you have a lot going on at the same time. But I mean, think of also the movie, The Wizard of Oz, where you've got the wizard but you've got Toto who's pulled the curtain apart. The World Bank whistleblowers are like that little dog that's pulled the window, the, that, that little curtain apart. So people can see inside the World Bank. That's what, that's what we have done. And then at the same time, I've become a bondholder and I've gone to all of the um, oversight agencies of the World Bank to tell them to do their job. So I'm doing two things. I'm showing them what's wrong and I'm telling them what their obligation is to me as a bondholder. And at the same time I'm doing this, I'm working with all of the whistleblowers that, you know, as we make progress at each level, more people learn about what's going on and they have their stories to tell. And, and so we're all working together. So there you, you can think of the analogy of a soccer team. We're kicking the ball back and forth to each other, whichever whistleblower in whichever country can make progress with their country. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been working on the world stage. Um, so what you have is you have corruption, which has been actually very centralized. And you have whistleblowers who are also centralized. And we're feeding the information to whichever oversight agency is responsible. And then we're telling the people, hey, you thought you were being protected by, um, say, for example, the, in the United States, there's something called the National Advisory Council on International Monetary and Financial Policies. That's chaired by the Secretary of the Treasury. It has the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission. It also has the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board on it, Ben Bernanke. 
So I was writing, you know, I wrote about five or six letters to that group saying the serious fraud office called up the SEC and they didn't get any satisfactory response. What is the advice of the National Advisory Council? And those guys thought they were going to stonewall. So I, at one point, I took a letter that I wrote to them. I said, if you guys think you're going to stonewall, I'm just going to send this to every single country that belongs to the World Bank. And I did. You know, I've been writing to all of the countries in the World Bank. I've been writing, you know, I've been making a total nag out of myself. But I've also, as a Yale lawyer, I've documented this and I've put the correspondence up on the website. And when I was litigating my case in the um, the federal uh, court system, it, it ended up in the uh, District of Columbia uh, Court of Appeals. Um, my case was settled by 188 ministers of finance and the clerk in the court refused to recognize that. So I took that document and I sent that to everybody, including every single Supreme Court justice in the states. So what you have is you have the um, legal system of the world and all of all of these um, agencies have got to have accurate financial information to the bondholders of the World Bank. So I'm using international securities laws to hold every single official in the international financial system to account. And I'm telling their um, citizens that these people are out to lunch. And there are 188 countries, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, members of the uh, World Bank. And it's great to see that you're making progress, but it seems that Lately, and I've spoken to, to many whistleblowers, truth is becoming treason. Have you noticed that? Yes, but they're in a different situation than I am. Because those whistleblowers, like Edward Snowden, are trying to reveal information from the inside. And I'm not in that situation. I'm trying to expose a cover-up. Because the cover-up is there that the information is not getting out that is obligated to be disclosed. As an inside lawyer, when I report that the bank is not in compliance, the board is obligated to hear me. They're obligated to react. So I'm not a whistleblower who's disclosing something. I'm ending a cover-up. So it's a very different dynamic. It's a very different dynamic. So, and, and the more people that join me, and that's why it's unstoppable. It is unstoppable. Now, the question is, it, it, you, you mentioned that the UK Parliament, when the whole brakes were put on the Syria, possible attack on Syria, that hasn't happened since the 1700s. It exactly. seems that the tables are turning. Could it be? And I remember many times for weeks, I was training, telling everybody to contact their, their representatives here in the United States. And finally, I think they got it. They got it that people are really should be in charge and their re-election, which is their religion. The, the politician's religion is re-election. And they realized that their re-election was in jeopardy. Well, it's, it's much stronger than that. Because at the moment, it's not their re-election. It's their validity, their legitimacy, because the Congress shall call a constitutional convention and they have not done so. So they are now illegitimate. And the, the fact of the matter is that 
um, it's not that we then descend into chaos because we have the states. And let's, I mean, let's look at the um, Federal Reserve System, which is issuing Federal Reserve notes, and then the Treasury Department has to pay interest on that debt. Which is not federal and does not have any reserves. That's right. That's right. This was created in 1913 in an act of stealth. Everybody had gone home at Christmas time and they snuck the legislation in. They knew that this was a terrible thing, that this was not in the interest of the American people. And I, I mean, it's a Trojan horse is what it is. The Federal Reserve System is a Trojan horse. Okay, so let's, let's look back at what's going on with the United States currency. We, we, can we can simply end that debt. Congress can issue coins under the Constitution. We can print a coin and give it to the Federal Reserve and pay off the debt with that coin, and they are no longer issuing our currency. And if the Congress won't do it, we simply um, have a constitutional convention, and we do something else. And in the meantime, we have our states. Some of the states, one of the states, uh, North Dakota, has its own state bank. The 22 states are looking into getting their own state banks. In the meantime, some of the states have recognized gold and silver as legal tender. Others can. Now, I was just talking to somebody about Bitcoins. They were teaching me how to have a Bitcoin wallet when I was um, right. starting our interview. Um, there are all kinds of options. That was one of my questions for you, if you, if you knew what Bitcoin was and if you were using them. Well, you know, what I said was that I was a fraud because I had never paid my bill with a Bitcoin. And they were taking me through that when I realized that it was time for our interview. So that's where I am on Bitcoins. And some people say, well, how can this person be a serious person if that's where they are? But that's where it is. You know, that's where it is. Now, the Federal Reserve has no congressional oversight. I've spoken to, to many people and even one suggested that the best way to do this is by sending the Marines and basically saying effective immediately, you are no longer going to print. Well, you know, the, 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 the printing of the money happens in the, the uh, Bureau of Engraving, but you are not to issue currency anymore and just do it via the Treasury. How could that be so difficult? Isn't that proof that both parties are basically being handled by the Federal Reserve? Mel, I can tell you um, for the, the war in Syria, um, some researcher had gone through, you know, it was the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations that voted to say that, that the sarin gas was clearly um, used by the government against its people. And some somebody had gone to see who had gotten what level of um, contributions for their reelection from the people that were trying to foment that war. Yeah. So the, the Congress is clearly um, subject to a lot of external pressure. And I can say that Senator Luger, who wrote three letters to the World Bank saying, don't fire this lady, when he knew what I was reporting to him. What was I reporting to him? In the letter that I wrote him in 2006, I said that the German representative on the board um, said that the board was treated like mushrooms, kept in the dark and covered with fertilizer. <laughs> right, great. Yeah, and I also gave him a copy of this um, computer simulation, which said that we, if we did not start playing by the rules, i.e. stop 
having the World Bank directed by that group. That group has co-opted the president of the World Bank. And there's a special little rule that's not in the Articles of Agreement of the bank. It says that the board is simply going to vote up or down whatever the president proposes. That's a convention. It can be wiped away. And I wrote a memo in 2009 to the executive directors saying, because of all this fraud and corruption, you are obligated now to take an active role and no longer take that um, convention into account. And that was when I was locked out of the World Bank. So I used the fact that I was locked out of the World Bank as my cause of action for starting the lawsuit against the World Bank because I was fired in 2007, but I was locked out in 2009. And a couple of months after that, that was when I started suing the World Bank. And what was the reason for your termination? The reason for my termination was because I was trying to get rid of the corruption. What Now, what they actually said was, um, this gets a little bit complicated, um, but I think the easy way to cut through all of that is that um, the documents that the World Bank was using were falsified. They took white out and just pasted over what they didn't like in the documents. <laughs> and that's illegal. So I went to the um, District of Columbia Board of Professional Responsibility that licenses the lawyers. One of the lawyers that did that was admitted to practice in Washington. And I said, this is reason for terminating that lawyer's license. And the D.C. Bar didn't act on that. And that was consistent with what Elaine and I found out about the accounting profession. You should not have lawyers overseeing the licensing of other lawyers because the bigger crooks are not disciplined. They're rewarded. And the same thing for the auditing profession. The, the fox guardian, the hen house. Exactly. So th those are, you know, we've, we've, we've uncovered a lot and we know how to fix the system, the, the whistleblowers that have all been working together. Um, it's been gamed against the people. It's been going on for a very, very long time. It goes back centuries, what we've uncovered. Um, it's amazing how everybody has been working together to clean up the system. And we're, we're just poised to do that now. Um, and I can, I can give you an indication how, how it is that I can say this. If you go to my website, you'll see across the top of my website, um, eight different, um, pictures. Those are the stakeholders for the World Bank. You've got um, what's called the Board of Governors. That's 188 countries that belong to the World Bank. You've got the National Advisory Council. That's the executive um, function of the U.S. government. You've got the media. That, by the way, I didn't model very correctly. I didn't understand that the media had been bought by the people that own the Federal Reserve System and that they were going to censor everything to the people. I didn't understand that. It's the new Ministry of Propaganda. That's right. But anyway, so you can you can go you can see this. I had the staff association there. I had the states there. Um, I just looked at who all the people were that could help, and they have actually helped all of them. And and we now have, as the model predicted, we are now. And when I say we, I mean this coalition of countries. And who. Who are the coalition of countries? It's everybody in the world that does not want to have a world war, that wants a peaceful transition in accordance with the actual situation. Now, some of the countries are getting a little fidgety about this. So you'll see, for example, in today's
paper, you'll see that um, that China is saying that the U.S. dollar doesn't deserve to stand as the international reserve currency. And what they're talking about is they're talking about the Federal Reserve note. They are not talking about a U.S. Treasury dollar that's backed by value. And that can that we can correct that situation, as I just mentioned, Mel, we can do that and we will do that. But, but what value? Do we really know how much uh, gold we have? Oh, Mel, I was waiting for that question. I was waiting for that question. There is such a happy answer to that question. And that is, yes, we do know. There is much, much, much more gold than people officially recognize. This gold has been accumulated through the centuries. It started out during the colonial period. And it's just been accumulating and it's on deposit in many banks. There's about in excess of 500,000 tons. No, I'm not exaggerating. I can tell you where they are because there's a, a German lawyer who contacted me um, and he has gotten the books on that. He knows the passcodes for all of these accounts. Um, I had mentioned in a previous interview 170,000 tons that's on deposit in the Bank of Hawaii. The reason I mention that is because um, Peter Ho, who's the chairman of the Bank of Hawaii, is the youngest member of the Federal Reserve System. He's on the San Francisco board of the Federal Reserve. Um, so you can see how that happened. And, and his predecessor went to a very lofty position. So these people are being rewarded for keeping their mouths shut. Yeah, you can see that. But um, in any event, um, I didn't get the interview on Russia Today TV because um, I'm talking garbage. They know full well that I've got accurate information and they want very badly that this problem is resolved in a peaceful way that everybody, everybody benefits. Nobody is going to benefit from an immediate currency war, which is the alternative. We don't need to go there. And one of the things that I was just reading, I won't put the name of this person out in front of everybody, but I can tell you that there is um, a website you can go to. It's called Wikispooks. Go there and you'll see who all these eminent people are that are feeding you garbage. And one of these eminent people feeding people garbage is saying, we have a choice. We can either crash our um, equities markets or we can take a haircut and have our bank accounts, you know, whittled down, like what happened in Greece. Cyprus. Yeah. But the point is, there is a third way. And that is to take the world's gold out and put it where it needs to be and have a smooth transition and have everybody live happily ever after. And to do this before any of these dire consequences that people are warning us about. They want everybody frightened. They want everybody, you know, worried like Chicken Little that the sky is falling in. And this interview that I just had that I interrupted, it, you know, we went back and forth about six times about whether the American people have the right to consent to their government. And it's open and shut. It's open and shut. And if the federal government doesn't understand that, we will make do with a state government. That's all. And if the state governors don't understand, we will make do with the county executives. And if the county executives don't understand, we will make do with the sheriffs. It's very simple. 
Let's stick with gold for a second because I think this is this is really important. Executive Order 6102, you probably know what this is from April 5th, 1933. President Roosevelt, in essence, confiscated the gold from the people. Do you think this might happen in the future? I think that any president who thinks that the people are going to relinquish their gold after they saw what happened in 1933, because let me go on a little bit further with what else was taking place in 1933 that some people don't know about. And that is, that was when we had the Internal Revenue Service. Exactly. Yes. And what has been going on since then, if you look at the birth certificates after that date, you'll see that the names of the citizens are in capital letters. Corporation assets. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Collateral. Yeah. Okay. So this is not going to continue. This is not going to continue. As I said, what what we will have in... There's, let me say this another time. People do not have to get all discombobulated about this information, as ugly as it is. Um, by the way, where do, do your tax dollars go? They go to the Federal Reserve. They do not go to the U.S. government. And from the Federal Reserve, they fly off to London, which holds 40% of them. And then the rest goes to the Jesuits. That's why you never include your check with your tax return. You have to send your check to a different place. The IRS, as you say, it pays the foreign debt. And now you mentioned something interesting, the Vatican. We always hear that all roads lead to Rome. Do you think the Vatican is the crown of all of this? Let me tell you something that I just found out. Um, Because as I said, as my story has gotten out, People who really know what's going on are contacting me. And I I think the first thing that I want to say is that I am absolutely not talking about the Catholic faith. Absolutely not. We are making a very clear distinction because um, what I got in in the mail one day, uh, it brought tears to my eyes, was four pages handwritten of all the websites of all the Catholics that are working to correct this problem. Yeah. So we are not talking about the Catholic faith here. We are not talking about the um, the people of faith or or their priests that are serving their people. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about the individuals who are hiding behind that sacred function to misuse that sacred function. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about abuse of authority. Okay. And yes, there are people who are abusing that place. They are. And that's going to discontinue just as much as the people that are hoodwinking the American citizens. That is also going to end. And all of this information, which is a lot of it is is not, um, what can I say? People don't like to learn bad things about their country or, but but if it's true, then don't you need to know it so you can correct it? Truth and hurts. You know, it's true. It's true about, you know, just look at it from an individual point of view. When you yourself make mistakes, we're human. We all make mistakes. Is it better to um, acknowledge it and to try to do better or to ignore it and hide it? Which which is the right approach? So that's what we're talking about. And to, and to do it in a loving way because it is you know, we've had presidents who have understood this and have stood up against it 
and have been murdered. We have many of them. And, and so it's very understandable if somebody doesn't want, and it's not just those individual presidents who have been, you know, sacrificed. It's been the families of, of these people. So it's not an easy thing. And let's not, you know, let's not um, reject people who have been human. But let's all try to correct the problem and let's all acknowledge the problem. Lincoln and JFK, I mean, they, they both try to, to print our currency and they wanted to send uh, JFK, he wanted to send the Federal Reserve packing. But if people are not aware of the amount of gold available, doesn't that make gold a doubtful investment? Okay, I, I, what I'm saying to people when they ask me about investment is the first thing I say is I'm not an investment advisor. But... I think there are different things about purchasing gold. One is that it's an insurance policy. I'm telling you that according to this very accurate stakeholder analysis and according to everything I've seen, that we are going to get it together and we're not going to have a huge problem. I believe that. And that model is 90 to 95% accurate. And as I said, uh, Russia Today TV put me um, on their uh, broadcast four times. And uh, in Germany, there's a very um, large website for businesses. It has 1.5 million viewers. And they put um, an interview of me up there. So I believe that that these are very clear indicators that we do have an, a functional coalition which is going to work together, pull together, to solve this this currency problem. That's what I believe. However, I don't have, you know, any way of guaranteeing it. I can just tell you that's what I think and that's what very accurate political science tools are indicating. However, what if I, what if I'm wrong? What if those that that 90% likelihood that we're going to solve the problem turns out the 10% wins? Wouldn't you rather have gold in your hand than paper currency? So I see it as insurance policy. I agree with you. It's an insurance policy. But the problem, in my humble opinion, is that the precious metal market is being manipulated. Look at the price of gold and silver these days. Yes, it most certainly is. And, and it's being manipulated by these groups that are trying to maintain this power. And what they're doing is something called naked shorts, which is they're um, offering for sale gold that they do not possess. And the offers of gold for sale exceeds the amount of available gold to sell by many, many times. And if you want to buy gold immediately in your hand this minute, you have to pay a premium. And the other thing that you will see is in on July 7th, um, the, the price of leasing gold went up to such a high premium that nobody's going to lease gold anymore because people are afraid at the end of the lease term, they won't get their gold back. And you, and there's something called permanent gold backwardation, which ba which means that um, your the price of gold in the future is going to be lower than the price of gold today. That's not typical. That happens only rarely. That happened in 1971, just before the United States went off the gold standard. There's um, a, an eminent uh, gold monetary specialist called Antal Fekete. And he's, you know, he's been um, advising me about what the meaning is about all of this. So, but the, the, the point about manipulation 
is that it is manipulation. It's not real. And some people say that the reason that these um, groups are manipulating the price of gold is because of the large quantity of gold that's available, um, not just in on deposit that I was telling you about. You know, I can tell you the amounts in the in the various banks if you want, but also there is a huge quantity of gold that's buried, and the person that has the signature authority over this gold has a very good idea of where that um, buried treasure is. It's not just gold; it's diamonds, it's jewels. Um, we we are very very rich as a human race, but we have hidden our wealth, and the reason we've hidden our wealth in case people are wondering, is so that people can be manipulated. It's not just the price of gold that's being manipulated. It's the people. They're being manipulated by being lied to. Well, that's that's also artificial scarcity, Karen. I mean, you have the, the diamond uh, business. If they had to report really how many diamonds we have, then the price of diamonds would go down. Same thing probably with other precious metals. Well, I'm not so sure about where the ultimate equilibrium is likely to be because there are many uses of gold that we're not even aware of so um let's let's not worry about it i i i don't think you can have too much gold seriously agree agree but it, as you say it's almost like the derivatives market uh, i mean people don't want to lease it they 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 want physical gold now and they're really paying a premium for the, uh, who, by the way, let me ask you this before we go to a different topic. Who owns Bank of America? Well, I said that it was the Jesuits, but it turns out they sold the Jesuit. Uh, the Jesuits sold Bank of America, and it's now uh, Citibank that they primarily own. Um, so I'm not sure who owns Bank of America any longer. However, um, you know, there, um, there are very accurate models of the ownership of the 43,000 transnational companies. It's the Federal Institute of Technology had three mathematicians who um, did a very good study of accurate data on corporate ownership. And they found out that th there's something that they call the super entity. Some other people call it the cabal. What it is, is it's um, a series of, um, what can I say? They take the same directors and move them from one group to another. So in actuality, although it looks like they're separate banks, they're all one bank. And they've taken those same directors and they've put them at the heads of the companies that have bought up the media in the United States. So it's a, it's a power grab. They've grabbed control. Interlocking. Yes, they've grabbed control and they thought it was going to be secret, but these mathematicians outsmarted them. And you, if anybody's interested, I can, you know, give you the uh, URL for that, for that um, study. Sure. And, and this secret super entity owns 60% of global market earnings and 40% of assets. Who is behind the super entity? Yes. Um, what, what a lot of people say it is, is it's um, a series of families uh, and you know, there, there are different names that are bandied about, and I don't know all of the names, but certainly the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds are way up there, and people say Schiff, and there, there are other names that, you know, I've, I've read, and I've, they're just not at the top of my uh, tongue. But, yeah, th that's probably true. But I guess the point that I would make is that um, 
when we invented corporations, we invented the ability to shield the identity of the human beings, the individuals. And that is a mistake that needs to be corrected. There are a lot of mistakes that need to be corrected. And not necessarily because individuals have to be thrown in jail. I'm not worried about spending a lot of time uh, evening the score. I Maybe some people are interested in this, but I, for one, am not. I'm more interested in making sure that everybody um, benefits and, and lives in a, in a healthy world. Transparency. Yeah. Now, the U.S. government shutdown, since we're recording this on Tuesday, October the 15th, airing on the 17th, which is a critical day. The government shut down. Is this simple political bickering, or is there something else taking place behind the scenes, in your opinion? Mel, the first thing is that October 17th date is fictional. The real date is May 17th. That's when we hit the ceiling. And since then, what's been happening is the federal government has reached into the federal employees' retirement plan and the postal office um, health fund to um, take back the treasuries that those entities own and issue some kind of IOUs that they think don't count towards the debt. And then they also prevented the states and the municipalities from issuing debt. Now, this is all fiddling with the books. This is, you know, talk about manipulation. And, and the whole fact of the matter is that um, a lot of this debt doesn't have to exist. There's something called the CAFR, the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report. And what they do there is they require the pensions of the civil servants to be pre-funded, which is absolutely for the interest of this super entity and makes zero sense. Why don't you pay the pensions when they come due? Why wouldn't you keep this money that's tied up from the municipalities and allow that to generate jobs? So this is, you know, we have done one stupid thing after another that makes zero sense for ourselves as a country and makes a lot of sense for the super entity. And we simply have to sit down and figure out what makes sense for us and do it. Nothing's preventing us from doing it except the fact that we were duped. And that is ending in short order. You hear me and other people hear me. And, the, you know, it's not just me. It's all of the World Bank whistleblowers and the whistleblowers that are not at the World Bank, but that are telling us about other secrets that are not in our interest, but are in the interest of this super entity. Well, the super entity, I mean, the, the, the Wizard of Oz is exposed. You know, we have pulled the curtain back and they're just not going to be turning the wheels anymore. We just don't want them to do that. And we have the right to tell them that they're fired. They are. We have the right. The state legislatures have already issued notice. And that notice is going to be honored. You mentioned the Vatican. You mentioned the city of London. Let me mention the District of Columbia, three independent city states. And now our certificates of, uh, uh, of birth also showing capital letters. Isn't it uh, eternal servitude for every human being that is born in the United States that accepts a social security number? Yes and no. It only can continue so long as people allow it to continue. And there's a very important constitutional amendment, the 13th Amendment, that somebody thought they could erase from the books. 
And that amendment, that was when the first time that we tried, some of the lawyers tried to pull a fast one. I can tell you, when I read about this crazy scheme and the, the, the birth certificates, you know how we're considered? We're considered to be ships. Human beings are considered to be ships. <laughs> the first time I read this, I said, this is not for real. Uh, lawyers could not ever do such a stupid thing and try to pull over something like that on other lawyers. I, seriously, I just could. And, and when we go to court, we're not appearing in court as as American citizens. We're there as ships. We're there as corporations. We're there as fictional creations. Are you referring to maritime law? Yes, but, but he, here's the other point. And this is really going to shock people. They're going to be very, very angry. Um, if you have been married by, a, 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 you know, what are these, what do they call them? Something of the peace? Justice, justice of, the, of peace? the peace. Yeah. The justice of the peace has married two ships. You're not really married to your husband unless you had a religious ceremony outside the, you know, it's really very bad what they've done to people. Now explain the... <laughs> <laughs> the implication. A lot of these. I've discussed this before with other people, but I know who, people who are listening are probably dumbfounded by hearing this. <laughs> I'm laughing, but we should be crying. We should all be crying. We should be clutching our heads and crying. What does this mean to the layman? Okay, I'll tell you what this means to the layman. What this means is that there has been, you, you know, this business about conspiracy theory being bad. That was something that was invented to try to make it difficult for people who were telling you what was actually going on. But, you know, I went back um, and I looked at what the first saying was. Um, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, if I know it not, it hurteth me not. If I don't know it, it doesn't hurt me. That is absolutely what we're looking at here. If you don't know it, it does hurt you. Once you know it, you can correct it. And that's what we have to do. We have to admit to ourselves that we have let these crazy lawyers um, pull a fast one on us. We have been duped, but it doesn't have to continue. Oh, and here's something else which is going to get people really riled up. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
This is Andy Goss, and you're listening to Veritas Radio.